I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm glad to see you today. Take your Bibles if you would, and if you'd find the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 6 today, reading verses 1 through 11. Thank you so much to those who've been leading us in worship today. In fact, I think it'd be okay. How about uh, we applaud how the Lord has used our worship leaders today. Thank you so much uh, for that. We're, we're glad to see you. We appreciate you being here, and uh, good to see members and guests alike. If you're a guest today and you think, well, you're the only one, you're not. We always have several guests in both the worship services every Sunday morning, and uh, we're glad to see you today and glad that you're here certainly with us. And how did, uh, well, I appreciate, I appreciate the worship today. How did Aaron know that uh, when I sing in the car that I sure do think I sound good? But uh, he's right, good to, uh, good to be able to come and worship together it is. Uh, something that's special that we come to do, and we'll be probably talk about some of that this morning. And appreciate that. We're in. Uh, we're continuing our series as uh, we're looking at David, uh, talking about overcoming our giants, recognizing that he's still king, regardless of what happens in our life, regardless of what happens in this world. We know that we can trust him in all things. And we're Second Samuel chapter six, going to be reading verses one through eleven. But as we have time today, I'd love to read the whole chapter before it's over. So uh, you hang in there. We're going to read the whole thing. Look at this. Uh, look at these special verses we find in God's Word. This now is the Word of God. Second Samuel chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David rose and went with all the people who were with him from Bel Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. I want to to share with you what I consider maybe the uh, top three characteristics of a godly servant leader. Now, these are just kind of things that I have observed and I've shared these with our staff, with our pastors. I've shared them with other uh, church leaders as well. And so I want to share with you just maybe they're sure that there are others, but three characteristics. You've got them there in your notes that you could follow along. One seems pretty obvious that you need to love Jesus and love others. Godly servant leaders love Jesus and love others. Now, this is not just something that you say, but something that is evident in your life. Can I tell you that your pastors and your staff uh, love the Lord and care for people. Now, these are areas in which we continuing to grow and uh, continuing, of course, to grow in our love for the Lord. And 
love for others as well, but this is of supreme importance, not only in vocational ministry, but for all those who are followers of the Lord Jesus, regardless of your job or regardless of your season of life. In fact, John, the apostle, he wrote in 1 John, uh, he said, if you say that you love God and you do not love others, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Interpersonal relationships are essential in ministry. Learn how to love and learn how to get along with others. And so loving God is supreme and learning how to play well with others is good, is, is, is needed also. And second, above talent and skill, a teachable spirit is necessary, a teachable spirit. For me, this is uh, more important than having great talent or great gifts. Uh, we're, we're disciples of Jesus and the definition of a disciple is a learner. I would rather work with and I would rather be a person who has a teachable spirit than someone who feels that they have it all or that they know it all. In the New Testament, it was the Pharisees who felt like that they knew it all or that they were uh, self-righteous and so much so that they did not recognize Jesus for who he is, nor were they able to listen and be able to learn from Jesus. In fact, Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and sinners because they were the ones who were willing to listen and recognize Jesus for who he is. The 12 disciples, though an imperfect group, were learners. They were teachable. So we've got love Jesus and love others, uh, teachable spirit, but also your ability to make plans and to be able to follow through. Your ability to make plans and be able to follow through with a plan that pleases God. The problem with many, even those who are followers of the Lord, is an inability to be able to see a vision or a plan for God, what God would have them to do, and then be able to take the necessary steps in order to complete what the tasks that God may have for you, and particularly if there are obstacles along the way. And you can be sure any plan that is God-driven, anything that is in God's will, that is in His purposes, you can probably be sure that there's going to be some obstacles along the way. So there you have it. Love Jesus, love others. Uh, teachable spirit, ability to make plans to be able to follow through. I'm sure there are other characteristics of making good or godly servant leader, but these are my top picks. David has these three characteristics. David loved God and he cared for others. It's one reason he's called the man after God's own heart. He loved God. Uh, read uh, just about any of his at least 75 Psalms that are in the Old Testament. Uh, we sang one of those today. Another of David's Psalms is Psalm 63, where it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh thanks for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David writes, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Because your steadfast love is better than life. David loved and he cared for others. In fact, he's the, he's the picture of a servant king. In 1 Samuel 5, or 2 Samuel 5, just before this chapter, the people declared that the Lord called him to be the shepherd of the people. Shepherd loves and cares for a sheep. His love for God and people of Israel will become evident in this chapter. As a matter of fact, all Old Testament kings of Israel will be compared to David and how he served Israel. It was in this way in which Jesus reflected or was reflected by David. David was teachable. He was a disciple before the word disciple becomes uh, all that common in the Bible. At times, in his life, maybe he seemed to 
be slow to recognize the changes that need to be made or where God was at work. And, uh, but may I submit to you that changes that David needed to make and the, how fast he did that's probably quicker than how fast most of us make the necessary changes or many who never come around to God's way of thinking or seeing the world through God's eyes. If we see faults in David, well, one is because we have 40 chapters that are written about David in First and Second Samuel, not to mention the ones that are about him in First Chronicles. His life is put under a microscope as much as any other person in the Old Testament. And there's no doubt, so these things are done, and we have all of these uh, stories about David so that we might have a teachable spirit. We'll see evidence in this chapter of David's teachable spirit. David was also able to make plans and which pleased God and follow through with those plans regardless of the obstacles. Last week we read where David was anointed king of all of Israel. His first order of business was to make Jerusalem the capital of Israel and the central place of worship. The Jebusites had been uh, residing there in Jerusalem uh, for over a thousand years. And it was thought unconquerable. At least the Jebusites thought it was impossible and David, no doubt, with God's help, he did that which was thought impossible. And the Lord taught us last week through God's word a great lesson about overcoming uncertainty. David's second order of business after conquering uh, Jerusalem was to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. It was a plan, as we will see, please God and would please all of God's people. Now, we've read the first 11 verses of Second Samuel chapter 6 and David runs across a pretty big obstacle that we read. A son of a priest touches the ark and he falls out dead. And certainly the plan is stopped for the moment. Well, what are we to make of this first failed attempt of trying to bring the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem and use us death? Well, maybe we're not quite sure what to make of this story. David wasn't quite sure. To make of it either. David was angry. Then he was fearful of God for the moment. Let's put our teachable spirit and figure this out and what we can learn along with David about what the Lord is trying to teach David and us. Now, in this chapter, if you've read, many of you probably have read this chapter maybe more than one time, but as we will read this chapter, what we're going to find out, there's lots of verses on worship. Well, let's conclude that God is trying to teach David and the Israelites. And now you and I, because we're here today, is going to about worship. We've been talking about overcoming our giants. And perhaps we could uh, maybe list this about overcoming the giant of incorrect ways to worship God. Or maybe as we have in your notes, what can you learn about worship? Did, uh, did you know that there are wrong ways to worship? Well, there must be because during what seemed to be the making of a great worship service... I mean, if you like singing and all kinds of instruments playing, God does not seem pleased. Look at verse 5 again, 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 5 says, And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Uh, seems like a good plan for worship. Singers are ready. All the instruments are ready. Uh, the order of worship is set, but... Something must have gone wrong with their worship because in the midst of the worship, God strikes somebody down. Somebody dies in worship. Listen, somebody dies in worship even from natural causes. Uh, it's probably going to be the end of your worship services, and particularly if God strikes them down. Now, I've never had somebody fall out dead in worship. 
while I was preaching. However, I came across this statistic one time that says that, uh, that statistically speaking, the safest place that you can be of just about anywhere is in church or is in worship. So statistically speaking, you're in a safe place today. Now, in uh, about four decades of ministry, I have uh, probably had many distractions in worship. My first church that I pastored was in North Texas, a little bitty rural church and. There was no nursery, but we had some children in our worship services of all ages. And, of course, we loved those children. We fell in love with the people, certainly, uh, there in North Texas. But the children were everywhere all the time during the worship service. So one of my first orders of business was to have a nursery. And we did have a nursery. But really only for a short time because we realized in that small rural church, in order for there to be a nursery, a large percentage seemed to have to be in the nursery. So we stopped. So we kind of disqualified that and put that out. But I've had people get sick and fall out sometimes in worship, may even pass out. In fact, twice I've had people while preaching, back when the choir wore robes and stayed the whole service, twice I've had them fall out in worship service in the choir. And what happens? Well, we, somebody helped them out, of course. We got them out, took care of them. We had prayer, and then we continued in worship. I did have one worship service where one grown man slugged another grown man in the face who was sitting in the pew behind him. And I just started preaching about five minutes in, and those two men left, and the whole brigade of men left and followed them out. As far as I know, there was a brawl taking place in the parking lot. Guess what I did? I just kept on preaching. Don't turn the other cheek, or uh, they'll know we're Christians uh, by our love. But uh, we understand that sometimes uh, with these things, uh, that uh, uh, that. Sometimes there, nobody, sometimes worship has come to an end even if we continue on. The death of Uzzah brought worship to a stop and a standstill for three months. The worship service was planned around celebrating the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was to be the central place of worship. David's ultimate desire was to build a temple for God and would house the Ark of the Covenant. We know that David did not build the temple, but his son Solomon did. But prior to this, from the time of Moses, the ark was to reside in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, movable tent that was used and moved around in the wilderness, finally came to the place and it resided in the city of Shiloh. Most are at least familiar with the ark, this wooden chest, three and three quarter feet long by two and a quarter feet wide and deep, overlaid with gold, with the golden carved cherubim with wings touching the top of the ark, called the mercy seat, called the place where God dwells. Here's a picture we have of perhaps what it may have looked at. It contained in the box Ten Commandments, manna that they had eaten in the wilderness, and the rod of Aaron that had uh, budded. When it uh, came to rest in the temple particularly, it was only in the Holy of Holies, it was only seen once a year, and that was by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. The Israelites had prior had the problem of making the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm or superstitious. In fact, they had carried it into battle without God's permission. And they had a great defeat. The Israelites suffered great loss and the Ark was taken from them by the Philistines. But after several mysterious happenings when the Philistines had the Ark, idols being toppled and beheaded, Philistine people getting tumors in different cities in which the Ark was, the Ark was put on a new cart, sent back to the Israelites and kept by one of the priests For at least 30 years. For 70 years it had not been in the tabernacle. But David, a man of action, he wants to bring to the new capital city to a tent that had been prepared for the ark. And by the end of the chapter, 
It is taken to Jerusalem where it stays probably until around 70 AD in the destruction of the temple where it may have been removed. The chapter is about David bringing the ark to Jerusalem and the presence of God being among God's people. David did not see the ark as a good luck charm. He was not being superstitious. He wanted to honor God. His desire was to build a sanctuary, a temple for God. For David, it symbolized what we often say, one nation under God. David had gathered men from all over Israel in verse 1. Many parts of 1 and 2 Samuel have a mirror passage. In 1 Chronicles 13, says David gathered men from the north to the south. 30,000 prominent men from all tribes went to David to escort the ark to Jerusalem. Before David became king, they were a divided nation, and the worship of God was not prominent in Israel. If he could get people to focus on God, they would forget about their differences and their disagreements, and they would be unified. It was a good plan. But something obviously went wrong. David did the right thing, but he did it in the wrong way. David, who had started out so well in the beginning of 2 Samuel and had called on God for most every move, he forgot to call on God. For if he had, he'd been reminded about what God's Word said and God's detailed instructions when carrying the ark. So what we want to learn from this chapter, if we had the same teachable spirit of David, we're learning as David has learned, worship is not about style. It's about celebrating saving grace. Worship is not about style. It's about celebrating saving grace. David was doing the right thing, but the wrong way. He had the two sons of Abinadab, the priest, escorting the ark on a new cart, which doesn't sound like a bad idea. Ahio, one of the sons, was in front. Uzzah was in the rear. When the oxen stumbled, Uzzah reached up to steady the ark, and he touched it. A natural reaction anybody probably would have to steady the ark, and the Lord struck him dead. We often think, and uh, preacher types sometimes like me come to a passage like this, and we say, you know, that's because it was a long time ago in a culture that's not like ours. We know it seems harsh, but it's just kind of hard for our culture to understand. But just so you know that we're not the first generation to think like this. David, who was present, verse 9 says that he was angry. And then he became fearful of God and then questioned, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Even the question of David may help us to understand and realize that David, and we need to learn that worship is not about us, but it is about God. There are lessons here about seeking after God, about coming clean, worshiping and serving God. God's way with respect and the holiness that God deserves. Uzzah was not the only one who was in error or who sinned. He was the one who touched the ark after the scripture clearly says, do not touch the ark. But the real question is, or excuse me, the real question is not, why did God kill Uzzah? We could spend some time maybe defending God, although I think we need to spend less time defending Him and just proclaiming God. But the real question may be, why did God not bring judgment on all of God's people who were involved in this event because of their disobedience and lack of respect? Or, or all, on all of us, for all sinners deserving God's judgment perhaps or God's wrath, and surely we've shown much more disrespect and greater disrespect than Uzzah. Make no mistake, the judgment of God is real and is necessary. So necessary that God sent His Son to take our place and experience judgment on our behalf. 
Christ died for all so that all who believe in him might have life and might have eternal life. The story in the death of Uzzah is a reminder that we all deserve God's wrath. But because of Jesus and because of his great love and sacrifice, we're able to celebrate his great grace instead. Now, while some may be turned off and turned away because of this story or maybe similar stories like this found in the Old Testament, it is to serve as a warning that all need to come in repentance and want forgiveness of a holy and an awesome God. David puts the ark in the house of a fellow by the name of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And for those three months, the Lord blesses the house of Obed-Edom, according to verse 11. Can we conclude that Obed-Edom, who was a Levite, was a God-fearing man who showed great respect for the ark. I think that we can. But something else happened during those three months. David is either, he's either reminded of God's word and God's instructions about how to move the ark and the respect for the ark and the respect for God, or he is learning God's instructions and his teachable spirit becomes evident and he's willing to make the change that needs to take place. We read through verse 11. Let's read verse 12. Verse 12 says this, And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. It seems that the history of the ark either blesses or curses depending on whose hands they are in and depending on the heart of the one who has the ark in their possession. Notice David brings the ark out. With much rejoicing. Now, several things happened in the three months between verse 11 and verse 12. First Chronicles tells the same story and the same message. It's kind of the mirror passage of, of this, but with a little more detail of the second attempt. And so we'll have it on the screen, or you may want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. And it says this. David built houses for himself in the city of David. He prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. Now we find that only the Levites were to carry the ark. And only certain Levites, the sons of Kohath, who were to do the actual picking up the ark with the poles and carrying of the ark, but never touching. Now these instructions are spelled out in Numbers chapter 4, and uh, examples are given Deuteronomy and Joshua. The Israelites had access to the first five books of the Bible, knew the instructions, and David should have known. But when we forget to go to God for our instructions or for help or in our prayers than often that we forget what God's word has to say. Or sometimes we know what God's word has to say. We know what would please God, but we go our own way anyway. And that's usually for selfish reasons. But then David told the Israelites, 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 12 through 15, it says this, And he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves and you and your brothers so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time. The Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. They were to consecrate themselves, something that they didn't do the first time. 
Now, consecrating themselves probably did mean some physical things that took place, preparations and cleansing, but it was so that their heart might be prepared for the task and might be prepared for worship. Is your heart prepared for worship today? You can always do that during worship. It's probably always better maybe to even do it maybe even before worship begins. And we recognize as we talk about worship, we're talking about what more than what takes place here on Sunday morning. We're talking about personal worship. And every time you serve God and serve others, your obedience is an act of worship. And as the Levites were doing, as David was doing, this time they got it right. How did they carry the ark earlier in this chapter? We read it a moment ago. A new cart that was pulled by oxen. In the past, who had transported the ark on a new cart pulled by oxen? It was the Philistines when they wanted to get rid of the ark because of all the bad things that were happening in their camp. Are you getting this? Don't copy the world. Be like Jesus. Follow God's word. Follow Christ's example of speaking the truth in love. When the world goes another way, away from biblical teaching, it's not our job to condemn them. Jesus didn't do much condemning. He only condemned those who were the religious leaders and the Pharisees who thought that they were righteous and they were self-righteous. But instead, we need to do what Jesus does, and we need to act like Christ, certainly in love. And when the world is going another way, and we recognize that we need to follow what Jesus says, but also we need to be able to help others so that when they go another way, that we're able to say by our actions and by the words that we say, uh, while you, the world may be doing this, while this may be seem right in, our, in their own eyes, we recognize and need to speak the truth that Lord always has a better way. The Lord's plan is always better for you and for everyone who puts their faith in Him. Again, 1 Chronicles chapter 15, 25 and 26 tells us more. Verse 25, So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord for the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. Let's compare that to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 13, a similar passage. And it says, and David, excuse me, verse 13 says this. It says, and when, they, when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Now we might remember that passage or read that passage and think that David had him walk six steps to see if anybody else had fallen dead. Well, it's always good to check and to make sure that what we're doing is pleasing to the Lord. But not because we are afraid that we'll be struck dead if we don't, but because we know that we will not be judged as believers in Christ. There is no condemnation, but because God is with them, David worshiped and sacrificed to the Lord. And he, walked, he had him walk six steps. Now, what's significant, perhaps, about six steps? I don't know anything particularly that tells us that it was significant about six steps, I think it was particularly because David could not wait to bring praise and worship to his almighty God. Couldn't wait till the time in which it was placed in Jerusalem. So he decided to stop right there, bring praise, sacrifice to the Lord. David is rejoicing because he's obedient to God. Obedience is a key ingredient to finding joy in the Lord. Before they had lost respect for the holy things of God, they had forgotten every word and commandment of God is important. But now David and Israel were making God the center of life once again. 
we find that God did want the ark in Jerusalem and it was moved there. But the lesson is that God's work must be done God's way in order to be blessed by God. And so as we're learning from David and learning even from the rest of this chapter, we find out that worship is not just about singing or even dancing. It's about lasting transformation. It's not about singing or even dancing. It's about lasting transformation. Successful worship brings a change of heart. Singing and even dancing can be the catalyst or it can be the expression of change. But it's not the goal of worship. Exalting the name of Jesus and becoming more like Him is the target of worship. Now, I don't know if you've been here on our campus on a Wednesday night lately or this semester. If you come here on a Wednesday night, people are everywhere. Uh, last month, we had uh, we have Chick-fil-A night once a month. So last month, we had Chick-fil-A night. We ran out of sandwiches because of the so-so. Uh, and we do that, the kitchen always worry, and I always applaud. And so this month, last week, uh, we had Chick-fil-A night again. We bought more sandwiches. And guess what? We ran us out of sandwiches again. I think everyone wanted got one. But, uh, of course, it's just not just about the holy bird and about fellowship. But we're having a discipleship take place, a lot of ministries that are taking place, meeting different needs. Soon, Esperanza House will be meeting, tutoring for kids and ESL classes. They'll be invited to join us on Wednesday activities. It's an exciting time with many ministries that are taking place, not only Wednesday night, but throughout our church. But here's the reason I say all this is because we have new guests almost every Wednesday night. Now, just a few years ago, we hardly ever would have a guest on Wednesday night, but now we have. One little girl, uh, one of our church girls brought a friend for the first time that came on Wednesday night. I asked her her name. She told me her name, told her I was Brother Jeff, and either her or her mom uh, said to the guest, said, uh, he's our preacher. And she looked at me as if she did not believe it. And I looked back at her and I said, I said well, sometimes I find it hard to believe also. And uh, they kind of giggled and began to walk off. And our girl said to the, her guest, she said, I told you that our church was funny. <laughs> now, perhaps what she really meant that our church was fun, but she was expressing perhaps maybe even more than that because the only way she knew how to express it because around here sometimes it's not just fun, it's joyful. Doing the right thing the wrong way will not be fun or funny or joyful for very long. But when you do the right thing the right way, God's way, that even in difficult times and when facing obstacles to God's plan, when we keep in rhythm with Jesus, the secret to having joy is making God happy. If we bring God pleasure, you'll know it by the transformation that takes place in you and others around you and the joy that it brings. And for those who have a teachable spirit, there's something else to learn about worship. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the horn. Dancing taking place. You know, just a generation ago, and maybe even not that long ago, that uh, Baptists had a hard time what to do with this passage. Some of us still would call it, rather call it rhythmic motion with Jesus, perhaps. And... Uh, uh, and most often people tell this story, they kind of tell, or maybe they picture in their mind David in his skivvies, but clearly it says he's wearing a linen ephod, which is a long flowing shirt that's usually worn by priests, perhaps that was sleeveless and that was scandalous enough. 
The first Chronicles 15 passage tells us that he wore a robe. But make no mistake, he had taken off his priestly robe and his priestly garments to give tribute to a holy God, the true king. And there were shouts and horn was blown. First Corinthians 15 says there were instruments. Verses 16 through 19 says this. And the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window. Saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent. And David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. Notice the movements that are in this chapter. First, the chapter we find that there was a, they tried to have worship, but it was improper worship because their hands and their hearts were not prepared. And then they had worship as they were bringing the ark from where it was, even before they got to Jerusalem, took six steps and they had worship again. And now they're coming to have worship and to continue as the ark is placed in the place prepared for it in Jerusalem. Did you pay attention to what David did? He, normally people bring gifts to the king. But in this case, the king gave gifts to all the people. He gave them cakes and meat and cakes of raisins to everyone. Why would he do that? Well, he's a new kind of king. He loves and serves people. Maybe with a heart like Jesus, he wanted to do something for God. And long before it was written in the New Testament, he knew that when you have done it under the least of these, you have done it unto the Lord. And David wanted to do something for the Lord as well as for the people. And everybody seemed happy or joyful or once that was a divided or split kingdom has come together. Everybody seems happy. Well, almost everybody. Michael, David's wife, the daughter of Saul, she didn't seem very happy, did she? Listen to the conversation that David has with Michael, his wife, when David gets home. Verses 20 through 22. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your fathers and above all his house to appoint me as a prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken by them, I shall be held in honor. It almost sounds like he said, Dear, you may not like it, but the women going to love it. I don't think that's exactly probably what he means by that. Call it jealousy or a heart that has been swayed, not been swayed by worship. Her focus was on herself and certainly not on God. You know, every time her name is mentioned in this passage, it says that she is the daughter of Saul, not just David's wife. Perhaps the writer of this was letting us know that she still had the heart of Saul and not the heart like David. You got to love the line of David. I will become even more undignified than this if that's what God requires. There's a book maybe that you've heard of, came out in the 90s called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I think I got a picture of it here. And then it says it's all small stuff. Simple ways to keep the little things from taking over your life. I'm sure it's a good book and I'm just borrowing from the titles, Meditations on How to Have a 
stress, worry-free perhaps, but uh, my title is Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Question Mark. So if I were going to give uh, this book a title, a biblical title, maybe it'd be something more like this. Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Question Mark. Uh, except the smallest thing that you know pleases God. Give Jesus control of every detail of your life. This story certainly lets us know that when it comes to godly instructions, details are important. For all the followers of Jesus, details are important. Not because you're afraid of God's judgment if you don't follow all the details, but you want to pay attention to every detail because you want to be able to please God more. You want to run to worship. You want to find yourself with God in in His Word so that you might even find more ways to be able to make God happy. We've read almost the whole chapter. Can I read you the one last verse, verse 23? And it says this, And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now, not every woman who has no children, it does not mean that God is displeased with you, but it did for Michael. God was displeased with her. But here's David. He's clearly imperfect. He has sinned and he will sin. His sins will include adultery and murder. Yet God continues to forgive and to bless and to use for kingdom purposes. Why do you suppose that is? Well, part of the answer may be this. That even though she observed worship, She saw David dancing before the Lord. Genuine worship. There was no change in her heart. What a great tragedy. To be able to come into worship today or come in week after week to be a part of worship and for there to be no change in our hearts. Let Lord make the changes and the transformation that is necessary. Queen Elizabeth II reigned for 70 years. Most of us don't know of an England without her as queen in our lifetime. Seventy years seems like a long time. David would reign for 40 years. This is the beginning of his reign. And it's also the very beginning of the line of David for one who would be born, who would reign eternal. And this is the one for whom worship is all about. For you see, and as we continue, if we have a teachable spirit, we learn this. Worship is not about self or self-promotion, but it's all about your Savior who is still King. Would you let Jesus, the one who is still King, reign in your life? And not just part of your life or not just the parts that you think would be easy, but every detail of your life. We're not going to be perfect at this. David certainly was not perfect at this, but time and time again we need to come back to personal worship need to come together so that we might have strong worship as we come together and continue to seek Him so that He may take even more control of our life and that we might look more like Jesus. Or do you need today? Do you need to make Jesus for the first time your King, your Savior? Do you need to ask Him to be your Savior and Lord? You can do that even today. Ask Christ to forgive you of your sins. Ask Jesus to come in. He'll give you life and He'll promise you eternal life. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we recognize that you continue to be at work in our lives. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come and be a part of this worship service, to be able to bring praise and prayers. And Father, we look from your word that we might be able to see how the Lord continues to be at work 
in the life of David. May we also have a teachable spirit. May we grow in our love for you and love for others. May we be able to see your will and your plan for our life and be ready to follow your plan only with your help and with your strength. And Father, we pray for those who may be here today or those listening live stream today that don't know, do not know you as Lord and Savior or they're unsure. Father, today may you give them assurance that they can know that they have Jesus as their King as they call upon you in faith and because of your grace. It's in the precious name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen.